Good afternoon, and welcome to the Carolina Codecast, the official podcast of the Carolina Code Conference. With me today is Jake Hennett. Say hello, Jake. What's up? What's up? Glad to have you here. So, uh, tell us about yourself. What are you up to these days? Where are you working? Awesome. So, uh, I'm a software engineer to at Lima One Capital. Um, what we do is business purpose, business purpose mortgages. Um, so, like, not your your typical I'm buying a house mortgage. This is I'm going to buy a house and flip it. I'm going to fix it up. I'm going to rent it. You know, whatever. I'm going to make money off of this somehow. Um, and the way our software plays in with that, um, we have a coding tool that basically if someone, a borrower comes in, you know, they've got a credit score, they've got a background, they have kind of some kind of deal in mind. Um, what we do is we give them kind of an aggregate of all those details. Hey, based on this property, we're going to give you this much money. Nice. Um, we do have a very small team right now. It's four of us. Um, I mostly do back end. I could be full stack. Um, we have a really competent front end team. Um, the front end is in a Create React app. Um, we use they use a lot of front end nonsense that I'm not familiar with. Um, our back end right now. Too. I'm with you. Um, our back end is APIs. Our MuleSoft right now. We're kind of switching that to NestJS, and then our database is Postgres. Um, so I kind of wear multiple hats. Sort of a DBA, sort of a you know a, an API developer. We don't really have a dedicated architect. So it's a with the small team comes a lot of different responsibilities, right. and we all kind of share that really all well. Right. And so you you mentioned uh, that your your backend was using uh, MuleSoft, and you actually submitted a. You you were one of the more interesting submissions to the conference, and you know one of the reasons right. that I, that I wanted to start this podcast in the first place is because, you know, we had a lot of submissions, and there was only so much time at the conference, and we weren't able to work you in as a speaker. Uh, but uh, right. I mean, after seeing your submission, after like, after hearing more about what you were doing, I really wanted to know more, and so I, I hope you'll definitely apply in, in future years as well, because you know. Absolutely. Was, we, we managed to cram in 16 talks, but we had 83 submissions and it was really difficult to roll these things down. That's a lot. But, uh, but you went above and beyond because uh, some of your friends in, uh, told you about the conference on LinkedIn and then uh, you started discussing it. I went ahead and gave you some feedback on what you thought you might do. And you recorded an entire demo presentation uh, to submit. No one else did that. Right. And then you actually you actually submitted, and and I want to hear more. It was about low code no no code solutions with MuleSoft. So tell me a little bit right. more about that. Yeah, for sure. Um, so basically, kind of like to give the full backstory and everything. Um, having after graduated from undergrad in 2013, um, I very much just like got a job, worked, didn't really pay attention to the industry much. Like I was just like I'm doing my job, doing my thing. Right. Um, so like meetups and stuff, I just wasn't really familiar with. Um, and in 2021, I suppose it was maybe early 22, um, started working with Kate Frank. She got hired on, um, with Lima and Kate's like really plugged into the upstate to the Greenville, you know, programming scene, you know, women who code those sort of movements. Yeah. Um, and Kate's just familiar with everything. And so there were several things. There's like a tech, tech slam and eggs that she was like, Hey, this is a cool conference downtown. We should go do that. It's like, I don't know how you found it, but yeah, no, that sounds awesome. Um, and then she introduced me to the, the code conference and I was like, you know what, like, Nobody knows about no-code, low-code solutions. Like, I didn't even know those really existed until I started working on one. So, like, we'll submit a talk idea. I, you know, worst thing, it gets shot down. Um, I think it's kind of cool. There is very much a niche for it, but we'll give it a shot. Um, and it's like, I didn't really, again, because I'd never been, I've never talked at a conference, never attended many conferences. Like, it's just super unfamiliar to me. I was like, I'm going to give, like, a little, like, here's what my talk would look like, both for, you know, kind of, pacing myself, kind of understanding what that would look like, but also running by, you know, you and the the rest of the administration with the conference just to be like, is this kind of what you guys That's pretty want? pretty much just me. Um, <laughs> run it by you then. Um, and kind of just like gauge, is there interest in this? Um, and so it sounds like it is. And so the, obviously the, the original presentation I did is still out there. Um, but kind of just to give sort of a talking points that we can, you know, flesh out more here. The, the general idea was that as a software engineer, um, I'm very much, I enjoy code. I am big on code. And so people, you know, will say, hey, we got this no code, low code solution. Why? That, that For most developers that I know, the, the perspective is, why does that exist? I would rather just write code. And I will still maintain, personally, I would rather just write code. Um, but part of the issue is that the IT industry is very, very large, complex. There are different skill levels. There are different skill concentrations. There's a ton of different ability sets and not everyone can write code. Um, and so kind of what I've learned with MuleSoft is that 
where a, a software engineer, someone who is very familiar with writing code, would prefer just to write the code, there are a lot of roles and a lot of niches where those types of uh, utilities excel. Um, and one of them kind of like really became clear to me is that like we have a BA team that they might have maybe coded long before, you know, they've got some familiarity. They're very technical with their role, but they're not really software engineers. They're not the ones who write the code day to day. Um, but a lot of times we depend on them for the algorithm, you know, Genesis. We, we depend on them for like kind of the business knowledge of like, what is this intended to do? And anytime you kind of share knowledge, there's very much a risk that you're going to lose the nuance. You're going to lose some of the original meaning. And so you know, if uh, one of the business, like say a sales guy explains it to the BA, BA explains it to me, one of those steps, we've probably lost something in translation. Oh, yeah. And so it's it's very difficult to preserve sort of that original intent without like really, really verbose contracts and, you know, tech specs and like all this stuff that it's like, there's a lot to that, man. And a lot of times with, you know, a very fast paced industry like the financial industry, we don't have time for that. You know, that's gonna take weeks. And by the time that gets to the developer, like, hey, here's what you're building, it, it's no longer it, it maybe isn't as valid or it could be not valid at all it's like no we need we need something to like get this on it now and i think one, really one of the benefits of a low-code solution like mulesoft is say you get the ba set up like hey here you can drop this connector in you know transform message just makes it whatever the payload was look like something else and you kind of train your ba team how to use that they could either one build it themselves because they have the tools or two they can build hey here's what i want it to do and they could build a flow that really much does what they want it to do without having to explain you know in this condition do that you know they, they don't have to learn the jargon we use but then they can give us something that's like this actually already functions the way the algorithm needs to yeah. we can do the heavy lifting of like let me build out an endpoint let me you know set up some query parameters let me set up some stuff to actually do it especially in a code solution um and so it's like there is very much a niche for where those excel um i will say since that submission um i've gotten a little bitter with mulesoft <laughs> just because we uh we actually met with some of their administration down in the because it's it's a salesforce affiliated company okay. um we met with some of their administration with our salesforce team down in uh their atlanta office um, and one of the things I brought up, I was like, yeah, it'd be really cool if like, can we get where I could just view the code? Like, yeah, you can look at the XML, you know, once you've generated these flows, but like, could I just like make this where I could write code more? And they're like, oh, that'd be, that's, that's kind of weird. Most of our customers would write less code. Well, okay, that's that's not the utility for me, but sure, I'm, I'm glad we had that conversation. Um, so it's very much uh, MuleSoft, I think in a long-term situation is, is probably not for me. Uh, when I took the job, it was, hey, you willing to learn MuleSoft? Like, yeah, I'll learn anything. Sure, let's go for it. Um, and another kind of benefit of specifically MuleSoft is being a Salesforce product, it ties into Salesforce really well. Oh, so like sense. for companies that use Salesforce as their CRM, if you want to, like one of our things is pulling down Salesforce, Salesforce records into cache tables so that like our other utilities can call just like with a Postgres call, with a Postgres query, right. hit those instead of like, because the, the Salesforce language for it is called Sockle. And it's like, nobody wants to learn Sockle. If I'm not a Salesforce admin, I don't want to learn Sockle. So it's easier for me to just write like a, a SQL query. Um, and so that's one of the benefits of specifically MuleSoft soft is if your company uses Salesforce, it ties in super well. Um, and that's probably one of the, the biggest highlights is that if you want to codify some of your Salesforce stuff and pull it out of Salesforce proper to, to do more things with it, you know, data manipulation or whatever yeah. you might need, that's probably one of the most straightforward ways to do it. And you could share that responsibility with your BA team rather than hiring. I mean, software engineers are expensive to hire. They're expensive to onboard. It's very expensive to like staff out if truly you don't need it. Um, and that's, I think, one way that a lot of businesses could better leverage is the resources they have or minimize the resources they have to hire. That makes sense. I mean, also, you know, don't, don't underestimate the value of learning some obscure thing that no one else wants to learn because half the time Convenient to know. when you find something that is that exists in a lot of places, but no one wants to learn it, that tends to be an indicator of an opportunity. Cobol developers are really expensive nowadays, exactly. if you know Cobol. Exactly, exactly. And it's it, it's one of those things, like I, I accidentally got deeply into email authentication. Never would have expected that in my life. And I've spent a huge portion of the last 10 years of my career in that direction, because there's just not a lot of people that do it. Um, but I remember whenever you first told me about uh, about MuleSoft, my first thought was that it it sounded a lot like um, there is an actual standard called BPM or Business Process Management, 
Yes. And so is is MuleSoft like that? Does it I mean does it import or convert from BPM files? So I don't think it exclusively has any tie-in with BPM. I think it follows a lot of the same protocols. Okay. Um, one thing is that MuleSoft is a little proprietary, I suppose I'll call right. it. Um, so there's not really a lot of ways to import things into it, and there's not really good ways to import things to export things That's out. Um, but I think from from looking through, because I remember you referencing that. Um, from looking through, I think it follows a lot of the same protocols, um, but it unfortunately is not one of those that can just port it straight in. It's okay. like you you would very much be like one to one, like, hey, what is it doing here? Right, let me do the same thing in MuleSoft. But a lot of times that's easier than just like having to come up with like very different architectures, like figuring out how that's supposed to do it. If it's if it's close to one to one, you know, just matching those is going to be faster than figuring out how it should look in the new architecture. Yeah, and and BPM is is an interesting approach in general because it's it's made to be incremental it's made to be an incremental solution so that you know just for example to, to kind of map this out say you're at a company that has um simple example a a need for um, employees to apply for time off and for it to be reviewed and approved by their manager so you would typically start out just writing up a document that says, this is the process. You have to fill out this form and submit it to HR. Um, and then HR will contact your manager and, and verify that they approve the time given, you know, other constraints of the team or whatever else. And then they'll notify HR and then you'll get their approval and it'll be put on your time off calendar and it'll be taken out of your PTO. And it would be kind of a manual process like that to start with. Well, then you might start, uh, you might get into the BPM setup and, the very first thing you do is you just flow chart out that process and there's nothing automated about it, but it's just basically a diagram that says, this is the process. Here's how we're communicating about this. We're, we're sending this information, these details over to HR, you know, employee submits over here. And then we, we get it back over here. You're answering all the questions before someone has to ask, Hey, what happens here? We've already illustrated e that. Exactly. And then what you end up doing from, from the BPM, that's the interesting piece of it. Is you say, okay, well now I have this diagram. I want this diagram to run. And so then you begin actually converting pieces of this diagram into, into parts that work. You don't have to finish the entire process out. Maybe you just start with, okay, well, now we're going to, to convert this form that they have to submit into something that the BPM can say, okay, you can visit this URL to click this form. And this form knows that whenever you submit it, it's going to uh, look up this person on, you know, in the, in the system, verify the identity of the employee. And it's going to attach this this request for time off, and it's going to send it over to HR. And then HR gets it, and they still contact the manager and do all that. Well, then next up, you decide, well, now we're going to automate that HR process. There's no reason that somebody from HR needs to really look at this before the manager does. So let's, when it goes in, we say, okay, we've, we've got a valid timesheet over here. Now we're going to send it over to the manager uh, and say, this person's requested this much time off and, and an email within the system. And here's the possible answers they can give like approve, disapprove, or, you know, disapprove with reason or something along those lines. Um, and, uh, and then they get that email and then they click on the email and the system takes it back and it says, okay, this is approved. And then you eventually you tie it into the actual payroll system so that it automatically takes the PTO out and then it sends a note back. Uh, and then over time you've taken a diagram of what the process looks like. And then you slowly changed it from having some manual steps to fully automated but none of it had to happen overnight. And so you get to start out by just diagramming out all of your business processes. And what's always been interesting to me is the use case for that sounds very obvious to me. And in practice, it's not. Because in practice, really? if you show that to a programmer, they go, I'm just going to code this. Right. <laughs> it is habit. Absolutely. Yeah. But it's, it's and interesting I think how it goes. I was going to say, yeah, I think you really highlight a very critical and understated part of kind of just like IT and computer science with that of if you have, say, you know, at the end of like this project a year down the road, you're going to have this really, really cool, like robust project and it's going to have like error handling. It's going to do all these fancy things. And it's like if you were to roll the clock back a year and show the developers like, hey, we're building this like, man, that's that's a lot, dude. Like, can we really do that? Like that, there's just so much to that and we're going to miss stuff. And it's like, you know, the old adage, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? It's like, if you can really parse that down to, you know, there is this one 
super simple, like small component. And we're not worrying about like how this gets to HR or how HR knows who to send the results to. We're not worried about any of that. We're gonna take this one part that is like, these are data points that we need input. So we're gonna build out the form for it and we're gonna give somebody a link to it. And that's all, that's all you need. And it's like, if you break it down small enough, usually any one of those pieces is, I won't call it trivial, but it's, it's pretty easy. Like, I mean, you've got some things like authentication, you know, well, authentication is the bane of my existence. I hate when we have to like worry about, you know, man, Oct is down, like, oh, crap, okay, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing, we'll figure it out. Um, but it, beyond like very like niche specific pieces like yeah. that, most of those components, when you break it down small enough, isn't terrible. And I think that, people underestimate the value of spending kind of, you know, you mentioned the, the diagramming phase at the beginning, mm -hmm. like people downplay how important that is. They're like, just get in the developer's hands. They can build it. It's like, yes, we could, but given the same amount of time without that diagram, there's going to be a lot of frustration. There's going to be, I build you out a prototype and you're like, no, this, this isn't actually what I wanted. It's like, if, if we had just spent that time at the beginning, call it days to maybe a week to really iron out, these are the details it, the whole process is smoother. You can distribute work better, you know, especially if you have a larger team, especially it's like, you really need to be able to break that up so that I'm not stepping on your toes or not working in the same file. Merge conflicts are awful. And so we're trying to avoid that. Yep. You really, the, the amount of benefit you gain from just that small amount of diagramming time is like, it's really understated. And I wish that more businesses would appreciate, like, don't just throw it at developers. Yeah, a good team, a good enough team of developers can, can build it no matter what. I get that. But it's like, it's happier for everybody. If we really, if I don't know what I'm building toward, it's kind of frustrating. I have to pull questions out of the business. Like, what do you want to do here? What do you want to do here? Well, what about here? Well, you know, I come up with an edge case later. It's like the back and forth. I've wasted more time already than what you would have spent diagramming. How about let's just, you know, give me that on the front end. We'll make it easier for everybody. Hey, what was the... Uh... I forget what the quote is, but there's some great quote about that. Like, you know, yeah. uh, ounce of, uh, prevention is worth a pound of cure. Yeah. I think it was, uh, you know, a hundred hours of development can save you an hour of planning or something like that. <laughs> Honestly had not heard that very accurate. You know, we, we want to say the planning's useless, but like, no, that's, that's actually really, yeah. really valuable. Exactly um, and I mentioned, when I mentioned with like financial industry, just being like, it's really, really fast paced. Like that we will have rate me. changes you know, once I was, a week. I was a little bit surprised. Really? I, I would never think the financial industry be, of being fast paced. I would think of being heavily I, regulated and therefore slow. Right. And I think a lot of people, like when that comes to mind, you're thinking like banks, like traditional, like I'm a lender. I have to protect interest rates. You think like the stiff that's like, well, you know, interest rates are going to go up. So we got to plan for that. Right. And we got to be really meticulous. Um, and I think for a lot of the financial sector that is, I forget the term, but like you're, you're kind of slower paced, bigger players. It is very slow, very regulated. Um, the problem with, and I don't know if it's just business purpose mortgage or if it's like stocks as well, but I know there is certainly a, a small subset that's just like, it's very urgent. Um, and the problem, because we exist that. in this weird space to give, to wax, you know, poetic about Lima is kind of, we is, is exist in this space where our borrowers are requesting money from us. And then we request money from like our funding, um, securitizations, whatever they're called. Um, and so like we take the haircut off the middle. And so if we give two good rates to our customers, we're not making a profit because we have to borrow the money that we gave them. And so we exist in this very, very fine, margin where if we don't lend at attractive enough rates our competitors take those those customers if we lend at two attractive rates and rates then go up we lose money right. and so it is all about keeping you know as close to that that perfect balance as we can um and i think a lot of it is of like federal regulations because you know definitely when when COVID hit and there was like the uh the eviction memorandum and all that oh, stuff yeah. it's like that that affected us and it was really really fragile and kind of iffy of making sure that you know we don't have all our eggs in one basket um because another thing we have like i mentioned that you know you got your fix and flip which is you know, your short-term rentals mm -hmm. and, or your short-term deals and then you have rentals where which are like i'm going to buy a property and hang on to it to keep that that income and it's like it has really benefited us having kind of both sides of that dichotomy because there are times when short when short-term deals are just like dead because nobody's trying to flip houses and then there's times mm -hmm. when rentals bad because it's like you know the eviction memorandums like nobody's nobody really wants to buy a rental property if I'm not actually making money yeah. on it. So it's like having having both sides sense. of that has really really helped the business. And I do like being gainfully employed, so it's helped me as well. 
Uh, that that makes that makes very good sense. I, I don't I don't know a lot about the financial industry other than you know the the loans that I've gotten in my own time. Um, right. But uh, but yeah, that is that is kind of surprising. I can definitely see the urgency aspect of it too. Right. Because I mean, you know my, my wife owns a business, and then you know it, it's we always like to joke because early on in, in her business, for example, we you know had some more urgent financial issues where we were right. you know, going to banks and like, Hey, uh, we're getting repaid by Medicaid a little bit slow. We need to get a loan, but the money's definitely coming in. Uh, and they're like, you don't make enough money for us to, uh, for us to give you that loan. I'm like, what is the point of, of this? Like, well, if, if you're in a better financial situation, we could loan you the money. I'm coming to you for the loan because we're not in a good financial situation right now. And, right. You know, we got through it and everything's fine now, but, but we tell everybody like, if you think you might be willing to borrow money at some point in the future, Go ahead and secure it while things are good. right now, because the moment right. that they're not, no one will give you the money. It's harder, <laughs> right? You you have to have credit to build credit, and it's just this weird. Like, I do not even try to pretend to to understand all the intricacies. We have an underwriter team that, like, that's all they do, and like, you guys are great at your job. You tell me what you need, and I'll build it. But like, I'm not. I have my own mortgage. I have, like you said, I have my own stuff that you know. If I've borrowed money here or there, but it's just like. I don't want to know the intricacies. I'm, I do not plan on, you know, getting into real estate as a means of making money. I'll leave that to you guys. You guys do it better anyway. Exactly. Exactly. Well, so what else is going on with you these days? Besides just from yeah, so a cat walking around behind you. Oh yeah, was she over here? Yeah, she uh, she's great. We uh, she got dropped off on our porch um, early summer, and we're like, well, if nobody's feeding you, I guess we're gonna feed you. And then we got a cat. Who knew? Um, that that's how you get cats. I didn't know this. Yep. Um. Biggest thing right now um, is I'm finishing a master's in three weeks, yeah. and I will be really glad to be done with it. Um, so I'm going through uh, southern New Hampshire right okay. now. Um, kind of a long, circuitous journey with that. I worked at an employer a while back. Uh, they had tuition reimbursement. I was like, you know what? I want a degree. Like, I finished my undergrad. I was like, I want to get, like, a master's. Nice. Um, so I was looking around. You know, I was, I was making sure that I wasn't going to spend, like, a ton of money because, like, at the time, was, like, my wife didn't work because she was still going to school. Uh, so I'm going to get something that's like, not super expensive. Southern New Hampshire is like, I want to say it's like the U.S. military's biggest provider of degrees really? just because like they have a really online friendly, um, like I think all of their programs are available online. Yeah, heard of them because um, of right. No, it's, they're super chill about like, um, they do have an on-campus like stuff, but nearly, I think, I think it's like 90% of their stuff is online. So that, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what? Cool. Let's start. Um, and part of it was my undergrad was in computer science and I was like, well, what if I want to do like management or what if I want to do, you know, architecting or whatever. I was like, I don't know if I want to get computer science. I'm going to go with IT with a focus in software application development. Cause like, that's what I do. But then like, I kind of have the opportunity to step back a little bit. So I started there. Um, things got rocky when that company got bought by a venture capitalist firm. So I'm like, ah, oh, we're going to put this on hold for a little while. Um, eventually they did have to cut a ton of people. I was one of those. So I'm like, mm, got to stop when I did. Working on it, you know, moved around a couple jobs, um, finally got stable at Lima. And I was like, if I don't finish those classes, they're going to roll off and expire. And I'm going to have wasted a ton of money for a degree I didn't get. So, you know what? Let's go back. Um, so I started back. It's been roughly a year ago now because I'd finished right at or stopped right at the halfway mark. Um, so it's like I had a year plus one more class to go. Uh, and it's good that I started when I did because then my wife um a month or so ago, started her master's. So it's like, I'm going to school. She's going to school. I've got a job. She's got a job. We got two kids. We got soccer practice. We got, you know, all this stuff. And I'm like, oh my goodness, if life does not slow down, I'm going to just like explode. So it is, it's very comforting that I'm like, I'm like three weeks away. I got my capstone that I'm working on right now. And so as soon as we finish that, we're good. Um, And the fun thing about the capstone was like, part of it is you have to kind of have this theory of like, I, there's a business need for this. I'm going to build toward this. You know, it's, it's a big thing. Yeah. And so uh, I've got a cousin who works as a lab technician for the blood connection. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Hey man, so we've had these conversations about like how to ease lab tech work. And like, if you guys had utilities that would help you kind of like cross match some of these issues that'd make your job easier. And I have to build something for school anyway. So I'm going to build this thing. It's gonna be great. And so he and I like had interviews and stuff and I was kind of taking notes uh, and I started program. to build a create, it was, it was, it was, it's a, the, the idea was great. Um, 
but I started to build it and I was like, well, I'm not really a front end guy, but like my front end cohorts at work use create react app. And I was like, I'm gonna do that. Cause like they know how to do it. So it shouldn't be that hard, you know, for me to pick that up. And it turns out I did not know how to build a create react app at all. Like react is not my thing. I'm just writing raw HTML. Cause I'm like, how do I, how do I do react? Like I can't, I can't make react do what react is supposed to excel at. So finally, like a week ago, I was like, you know what? I'm so far behind. And one of the classes that I worked on previously did uh, Java Spring Boot. I was like, I made a lot better progress with that than I am with this. So I just scrapped the whole thing, started over with Spring Boot and got it. Uh, it is functional now. It's definitely not complete, but it's like, it's functional. Um, and the class is much more focused on like your theory, your process, your, you know, how do you get, it doesn't really matter if you actually build like a really robust app. It's like, what was your idea? How did you get there? What's your plan moving forward? Yeah. So it's like, that should be you know adequate for the degree, but it's just like, man, I really like, I overestimated my, how confident I was with like build and create react oh, app. Yeah. And I, I am paying the price for that now. So uh, here we are. Believe me, I, I get that a hundred percent. That's one of the reasons that, you know, I, I, I joke that I'm more of a backend guy. I've done front end development. I've done like even right. before all these frameworks were out there back in like the, in the pre jQuery days, like I was, I was doing right. Ajax based applications when you were writing native JavaScript for all these different browsers and stuff. And, yep. um, and you know, it's, it's less of about not being a front end guy and more about just wanting to, to work in an environment where I'm more in control of what's happening. Uh, I, I right. don't like having to trust anything in the browser, uh, just no. from a security standpoint, I don't like it. I'm going to distrust it. I mean, you can, you can put validations in the JavaScript for convenience, but you still have to put them on the back end too. And so, if I'm, right. and, and so for right. me, it's just a matter of, if I'm going to have to duplicate the work of anything that I do on the front end, I want to just do it in the back end. And so it's safer. You're more familiar with it. You may as well do it where you're more comfortable. Exactly. And so solutions like, you know, the Elixir um, the Phoenix Live View or uh, or uh, or Ruby on Rails' Turbo uh, framework that kind of right. lets you drive everything from the server side and just sort of get a more interactive experience on the front end anyway. Uh, th those appeal to me. And you know, I, I've i never been much of a designer, but uh, whenever Tailwind CSS came out, uh, I decided to, you know, I saw everybody talking about this thing and I'd never gotten into really learning bootstrap or the other front end frameworks that were out there. And I sat down and I right. went through, I, I got their, their book on this process and I went through and I, I read through their, their book of where they explain kind of what a design system should look like. I remember going through it. I'm like, I'm not a designer, but everything in here makes perfectly logical sense. And now that I've seen this and understand like what a design system, whether using tailwind or not should look like on a platform. Uh, I have a hard time unseeing it. Like the moment that you see, you know, if you were to structure your things this way, your life will be easier in general. Right. Um, it's hard to unsee that. And then when you go and learn Tailwind, you're like, okay, well, this follows that exact idea of having a design system in place. And then you, and then you jump through some of the logical holes where you're like, okay, well, yes, this is going to be a messy, uh, you know, compilation of a bunch of different class names to get what you want, but you're just writing it in the one place because it's going to be looped in the, in the template anyway. So Right. What's the difference? You were going to write all this stuff in a CSS class by itself anyway. Is, it, is yep. it that much better to say class, my class that does this very specific thing, and then having all of that code in the CSS? Or is it better to just punch it all into just do it there from classes? And so it's, right. it's I, don't, I don't even know where I'm going on this tangent right now. But when it comes to the front and back end, when you're talking about flipping over and just kind of throwing everything in the trash and then going back to what you know, there's a lot right. to be said for just doing with what you know. And, and moving forward. Right. And you, you, I'm a polyglot developer. I'm, I advocate for learning a bunch of different languages and using the right thing for the job. But there's right. also, I also don't advocate for stopping everything that somebody's doing and switching to a different language when you've got all of the existing right. knowledge investment in another thing. Because in the end, at the end of the day, you can do almost everything with almost everything. There are trade offs at, in scaling in specific use cases. Right. But for the most part, it doesn't matter that much. It's whatever gets you the most no. faster. And that's honestly, that's kind of one of, it was really cool. Like one compliment that I'll pay Lima and it's like, it's been super helpful. Is like when we were, we were looking at Mulesoft, like, look, this is, this is not sustainable for, you know, where we want to go. What we want to do, we're just shoehorning a ton of business logic in this. The, the, the architecture is not built for it. We have to do, we have to switch to something. And we had this big, like, we're going to build another API package. What do we build it in? 
uh, how, do, how do you make that decision? You know, we, and we spent a couple of days like kind of do, re, doing research, talking about it. And then finally, you know, our senior, he was like, why don't we just like build one endpoint in like three different architectures and just kind of see what happens. It was really cool. So like we did one nest, we did one express. Uh, there was, there was one other, I forget, um, that we kind of just like everybody chipped in and kind of did their own, like, Hey, I'm going to build this one. And when we built three, we had this little, like, I think the official scrum term is uh, a spike. Yeah. Um, and we kind of just like talked through like, okay, what were the benefits here? What, what were the, the shortcomings, you know, where we want to go. Um, and our, since our front end is in JavaScript, like we would like to have kind of full stack be JavaScript one for resource hiring. Cause it's like, if you want to hire somebody that does your front end and your back end, it's like, well, you got to know C sharp for the back end. You got to know JavaScript for the front end. You know, the more that you add to it, the more hard, the more difficult it is to hire someone who happens to know all of those technologies. If the entire stack from top to bottom is JavaScript, it's like, Hey, you know, JavaScript, cool. You're hired. Um, so that's, you know, we wanted to centralize on that. And Nest kind of was just like the one that we gravitated to. It's like we ran into some issues where deployment hosting with Nest was going to be a little bit more um, difficult to work mm -hmm. out. And we're actually working. That's one of the things that, you know, part of our team's working on now is trying to figure out kind of those pipelines and stuff. But it's like, you know what? Okay. Having done like a physical application, having used this in practice, you get a, a better opinion on it. Yeah. Um, and so that, that, that's the one we chose. And it's like, I really appreciate that the business is not like, oh, you're wasting time. You know, you're going to throw away code. So don't do that. Just choose one. It's like, no, you don't, you don't realize again with your, you know, an hour of planning versus a hundred hours of dev work. It's like us spending like two days, maybe really just like building a thing, trying it out, seeing it's like, we are, I don't know if maybe we potentially we could have gravitated to nest anyway, but it's like, we have a very good confidence now of like, Nope, we tried those. This is the one we want. Nice. And so it's like, everybody's, everybody worked together to come to the decision. Nobody's mad. That like, well, I wanted to do whatever, you know, I want to do BOGO sort instead of, you know, merge sort. It's like, no, no, no. We, we all collectively came to the decision and it's like, I'm really, it, it works better for, you know, team integration. Totally. It works better for morale. It's like, I, I appreciate that for those two days, the whole team is more effective. We're driven. And, you know, that's, this has kind of been the first time we've done it, but it's like the team just works so well together. It, it'll happen again in the future. And I think we'll come to similar conclusions where like yeah. we, we tried them out. This is the way to go. And, we're all better because and of it. You, you actually hit on something that not a lot of people realize, um, but just making a decision versus having a process where everybody's involved in the decision, even if you end up ultimately right. making the same decision, the fact that you had everyone involved in, involved in the process gets everyone yep. more bought into the solution. They understand why they've talked through the options and ultimately we've agreed on a conclusion. I, I, I coach people on this stuff. So I'm, I'm a, I'm a, 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 a certified SPC. I'm, I'm certified as a, a scaled, okay. scaled Agile consultant uh, where I can help right. people implement the, the safe Scaled Agile framework stuff. And, you know, it's, uh, there are ways to really strictly adhere to it in a, in a very large company where you need certain communication processes, but ultimately it's a collection right. of, of good business practices. And so you can kind of pull piecemeal parts where it's going gonna, it's gonna to help you here and there. And one of the biggest right. things that I like to take people through is uh, is basically an exercise where you you kind of use the same story point system, but for determining what your actual priorities are. Uh, and okay. So it, it's a process where you use a format. You can you can look this up. It's it's everywhere. It's called weighted shortest job first. Um, okay. And and it's essentially a, a formula where you know, you're in the financial industry. You, you talk about return right. on investment a lot. So the right. ROI formula is just value divided by cost. Simple as that. that that's yeah, all. easy. And so WSGIF, way to shortest job first, is the same thing. You're basically going through and discussing the various metrics of value for the thing that you're wanting to do. And then you evaluate on the cost side, uh, how big is the job for each of these things. And it one of the things that it encourages is it really forces you to break things into smaller sizes because really large things are never going to get. It's hard to estimate something that big. Exactly. But it gets people, you have to talk through the criteria on a, um, on, on three critical factors. The one of them is the, the user business value, like the, the, the general value to the, to the user of the business. And you're using story points or you're starting from like a, a relative. We all agree that this is the lowest in this category as, as a one. And then relative to that, what is a two-pointer to the rest of it? And so on and so forth. 
and you know early on you're just going off gut opinions and you're discussing and you're kind of coming to a conclusion it, you're not averaging stuff out you do it just like a story pointing exercise where eventually you have to get to a consensus on it where almost everybody right agrees. Like, we're going to agree on something exactly if, if if 10 people say this is a one and one person says this is a 20 you're not averaging it it's a one no almost everybody one. agrees this is a one um and then uh, you, you talk about time criticality. So time criticality, not being a, you know, somebody said, I'm giving this a deadline of this because I just arbitrarily chose it. Uh, time criticality is, you know, we have an event coming up on this date. And if we don't have something for this event that we, uh, that we can announce, then our opportunity here is completely gone. Like that's, that's right. a real hard deadline. Otherwise you, you know, you, you stick with targets and stuff. And so if it's time critical, uh, if there's, if there's a level of urgency to it that goes along with something like that, the urgency itself will be will be captured in the value formula to start with. Time criticality right. is is there a hard deadline? So it's basically always a one unless there's a hard deadline for some reason. And that makes sense. And then the last factor you talk about is uh, is what they call opportunity enablement or risk reduction. And opportunity enablement is basically if you know there's something that you want to do in the future, but you have to lay this groundwork to get there first, it's going to enable a future opportunity. Like if you know we need to be on Next.js to build this next big feature that we really care about next year. Um, right. And you factor in the, how do we get to that conversion point? to next JS suddenly has an opportunity enablement of things that it's going to enable in the future, even if it's not really that right thing. Uh, and so you factor that in, you quantify the value and then everybody's discussed why these things are, are what they are. The top, that value form at the top is called cost of delay, which is, I think it's a okay. good way of, of quantifying it. And, uh, and then you just, and then you go through and you actually estimate what's going to be involved in, in doing each of these things so that you can estimate the size or the scope of the job. And from that, you should have a, a formula that bubbles up to the top, whatever is going to give you the most return on your, your investment of time. And, right. you know, it's easy to talk through the ROI side of that and, and have the business people understand, well, okay, if I do this, if we prioritize things this way, then we're going to be getting more out of our investment of time. Yes. It's not just that though, because eventually you'll have people say, okay, well, we can just put these numbers on a sheet. You know, we'll get our, we'll get our projections from our, uh, from our analysis department, from our, from our uh, market analysis people, or for our, from our, from our PMs who will go through and say, oh, well, this is what the value formula is. And our, and our devs have estimated as this. And so here's our numbers. And we're going to go based on these numbers. The critical thing is having that conversation where everybody discusses it. Because having that conversation where everyone discusses it is what gets everyone on the same page. It's what gets everyone bought into this is what we're doing and we all agree and understand why. Because if you don't have that, there's always going to be that guy in the back of the room that goes, well, I told him we should have been doing this. I told him we should have been doing this. You know, no, nobody, nobody listens to me. I told you that was going to be a problem. Then when it blows up, he's gloating about it and all that. Right. If, if, if that guy's involved in the conversation and has the opportunity to voice all those concerns. He's voiced exactly. it. Right. It, it goes a long way. It's really critical to the process. But uh, so I'm, I'm kind of segueing sideways on this thing. But so we'll, we'll bring it back a little bit. Um, so let's see. We're, you know, we just had Halloween, but I, I told you earlier, it's probably going to be after Thanksgiving by the time this, this actually airs. Um, for sure. So uh, since it'll be after Thanksgiving, any, any big plans for the, for the holidays? So, uh, my oldest birthday is coming up, um, and the kid loves Magi Quest. He loves Great Wolf Lodge. Oh, nice. like, you know what? We'll do a day a day trip up there. So that's the plan for this weekend. I guess it'll be a few weeks ago at that point. Yeah. But he loves it. Um, found a good group on for it. I was like, you know what? Let's let's go. You know, kids will have a good time. Um, and it's one of those. It's the funniest thing for me is like the fact that my most of my coworkers. Um, they don't have kids. And so it's like, it's, it's a, a little bit of a, a jarring, um, it's a disconnect. Um, cause like of the, the people on the team who do have kids, like we're vibing, you know, we're talking and it's like, I, my coworkers are great. Um, but there's times it's like, they'll, they'll talk about going out with their friends and I'm like, yeah, I haven't, I haven't actually been out with friends, you know, and it, it's been a couple of years now. How, how so, old are you? Oh, he's 10. 10 okay. uh, well, he, he will be 10. Nice. Yeah. Um, double digits. I'm like, yeah, I'm not that old. Am I? Here we are. Um, but no, they, 14, you know, so I'm right there with you. you're right there. Yeah. Uh, but no, he, my, my youngest is eight. It's like, uh, they, they keep us on our toes. Um, and it's one of those just like, I will not say that kids make anything easier ever. Um, but kids often make things funner. Oh, I'm like, yeah. you know what? It's worth it to be a little harder if it's, if it's more fun. Um, and so that's what we, we recently, uh, we built our house, uh, 
over we finished it we moved in in april um we're on 11 acres and it's like the kids have a go-kart and i'm like i'm gonna get the go-kart fixed up we're gonna go have fun you know while they're off for the holidays i tend to try to take as much time as possible like my pto is burned like the christmas break just to like let's go have a good time because like you guys i'm busy during the summer because you know financial stuff just blows up in the summer for whatever reason it's like you know what i'm gonna take my days off and we're gonna have a good time so uh no travel usually just because like I don't feel like dealing with airfare and stuff. And I, when I finish this master's, I just want to just like crash for a little yeah, while. I understand that. Um, but yeah, we, uh, we, we try to make the most of the, the time that we got, but I, I definitely, my wife and I need a break for sure. <laughs> no, I, I absolutely get that. You know, raising kids is a lot of fun. It was, uh, I, it, during the, the 2020 COVID years where everybody was quarantined and stuck inside, it was way better having the kids at home we spent so much more time oh, yeah. together as a family I mean, we we found family shows to watch and everything but um you know if you didn't have that and you were stuck at home and couldn't go out everybody that i've talked to that went through it that way was miserable, miserable. Was right absolutely miserable and uh it was and that's and it, it's it sucks but um oh it absolutely does um one of the funny things though is like the the job that got purchased by venture capitalist covid was kind of like when all that broke and so like i got laid off in april may 2020 it was like right after covid really hit full swing right. um and so like i didn't have a job and we're all stuck at home with the kids and i'm like i don't really know like what do i do like what am i doing in my life so we were just like you know what we don't have the money to spend because like i got laid off but like we're gonna go hiking so we went hiking like every weekend you know we did we had a bouncy house that was up more days than it wasn't because i'm like it's free. Go have fun. And so like, it, was, it was a really cool transitionary period because yeah. it's like I very much with that old job, I stagnated. Like that was 100 percent. Like I got comfortable where I was. I was not really trying to improve myself. And I'm like, I'm not going to let that happen again. And so like learning through like it's painful to get laid off. It is absolutely oh, yeah. painful. But there's only so much, you know, you, you can't, you can't always expect it. It's going to happen sometimes, but it's also, I'm going to make myself as valuable as possible. And it really kind of taught me my worth with you know, companies. And it's like, this is, it's hard. Cause I don't want to, it's not that I don't appreciate, you know, what Liam has done for me, what, you know, having a job has done for me. And I do like the company, but for me, it's like, my family is my priority. You know, my, yeah. my quality of life is my priority. And my job, at the end of the day, my job is a paycheck. You exist to pay my bills. And so there's very much a healthy, like, I appreciate the work environment. I, I enjoy the work that I do, but I'm not going to sacrifice myself and, you know, time with my kids, time with my family to bend over backwards for the company. When it's like, look, you're a paycheck, yeah. you know, I'm going to do my best. Literally just this last weekend, we had a production issue that was breaking, like everything broke. And so we spent Saturday, Sunday, just like, all right, figure this out, host this, uh, try to do something to get it up and running because like it it's it broke right now and so when we finally got that up you know monday we're going and we're like okay is everything has the dust settled it's like okay I, we're good that was that, that was awful but it's good um there's going to be instances like that and i will absolutely come through if that's the oh, expectation. yeah that's part of this job but you know i mean the, the, the right. expectation of you're senior you know what you're doing therefore you're on call. you're on the hook yeah right um but it's just like there's so many people that'll like work late nights, early mornings, weekends, just to try to get a deadline. I'm like, eh, maybe you should have just like gave that more story points that the fact that this was just like estimated wrong or that there was a deadline someone imposed arbitrarily. It's like, that one's not my problem. Uh, my, my family comes first. Well, it'll get done when it gets done. And if it is truly, like you said, like it is a hard deadline because of like a legal requirement. It's like, okay, if extra hours have to happen, it has to happen. But it's just like, I'm not. And the conversation my, that goes my, along with that is, you know, if there's a deadline that has to happen, then the question doesn't become how much overtime is everybody working to get this done? It's what are right. we cutting from the requirements to make this happen? And yep. it's, you know, there's, there's very much a trade-off in there of, of level of expectations. And, and also have, you've got to have management that's going to advocate for, uh, for the development teams where no one is expecting that. I, I get it when right. you're, when you're young and hungry and you want to put in those extra hours. But a lot of times you're right. wanting to put in those extra hours because you're wanting to gain experience and learn, which is great. I did it early on in right. my career. I took a lot of pride in how many late nights I was willing to work. And gosh, when I was right out of school, I was like, they're going home at five. What's wrong with them? 
we have work to do. <laughs> exactly. Like I'm, I'm here for the all nighter. Why aren't you? Right. And they're like, cause I'm older and have my priorities straight. That's why. <laughs> but, but I gotta agree. It's like, if you're, if you were really hungry to learn, which, you know, is absolutely a good thing. It's like, that is going to, that takes effort. Yeah, like, there is not, later. I mean, it definitely paid. It oh, absolutely. hundred percent. Um, and that's what, like, it is very much a trade-off of like, if you're willing to put it in, if you, especially if you have the availability, you know, oh, yeah. young, single, no kids, you tend to have more availability. Mm -hmm. It's like, if that's how you want to spend it, do your thing, man. And like you said, you will, you'll learn tons of things. You'll build work ethic. It's, it's helpful. Um, but there comes a point where it's just like, mm, I don't know if it's worth it anymore, you know? And that's, that's when you start to like make the decision of like, okay, yes, prod is down. Nobody's making quotes. The business is losing money. Therefore we are, you know, we're in the hot seat. It's like, mm, okay, yes, I will give you these hours. And it's like my, my manager is very, like you mentioned, he's very good about pushing back on the business. So if it is just something of like, Hey, this needs to be done. Well, we're not getting done something else done. You choose what. Exactly. Um, he's good about that, and he's very cost. rewarding of like. If I'm doing this, exactly. I'm not doing that. Yep. Are you willing? Um, to but he's really good off? about. Right. Um, he's good about though. If like if if something like that does come up, he's very rewarding of like, hey, you know, what whatever the case may be. But it's like, we very much feel appreciated for like I didn't put those hour hours in, get a pat on the back, I'm like, hey, good, good job, and that's it. Because it, that is very demeaning and it kind of harms your ability to cash that in later. Because the the more often you do that, the less you can use it later. Yeah. The less you reward that, the less you can use it later. So there are plenty of businesses I've, I've worked for that if it happens too often and it's not appreciated enough. You, you burn through developers. I mean, you're losing developers a couple of times a year yeah. and you can't even onboard somebody to keep, which is, is awful for the team, the company. It's awful for everybody. Right. So it's not at all the way to run a business. Yeah, I'll never forget uh, one of the one of the better managers that I had. Uh, I was at uh, at Windstream, which was formerly Newbox. Um, yeah. And I was working on their production support team. And this was after I had kids. And so my job was basically to at that time was basically to from all the other developers in the company to take their stuff, to get the requirements for, uh, for deployment and, you know, and then hang around for those on call times to do the late night deployments, make sure everything worked, roll it back. If there was a problem, contact people, if there was an issue with the deployment process, make sure everything was filed and documented according to the official processes that were audited and all that. And, and otherwise just, you know, run support on this production system. So if there was a problem, we were the ones that were investigating and looking into it. And, and and the odd thing about it is that it was a temporary, it was like a perpetual temporary contract. So it was three months at a right. time and they would just sort of automatically renew it every three months, but they wouldn't commit to actually just giving me a full-time job. And it, it, what's really funny about that is that I actually really enjoyed that job and would have probably still been in it if they would have just given me a full-time job, but they didn't. And I ended up going and working for, for a company where I ended up having to do some crazy, like, fraud resolution stuff for uh, for a year and it completely changed the course of my career because I didn't get that job what meant to be right but it was a good experience overall and one time when my kids were young I got a call on Christmas morning we're sitting there opening presents I'm getting a call from my from my manager and they're saying um, these systems are down right now I'm sorry to call oh, you no. on Christmas day so my wife understood. I went upstairs, got on the computer for three hours Christmas morning. Luckily, we didn't have any plans that day. Uh, the kids were more playing with their with their their stuff, and and they were right too young to really notice it. I was more irritated than anything else. We got it all resolved after about three hours. Um, she ended up paying me for three full days uh, as a as a thank you for the three hours of work that I had put on. Right, and I deeply appreciated that. Uh, yeah, at the time, and and that's that's the type of trade-off where somebody has to just acknowledge you put in a lot of time when you didn't have to, when you we should not that. have had to, and we appreciate and respect that. And just doing that goes farther than almost anything else, because absolutely, I mean, people will people will work hard for you, uh, and and I always tell tell people whenever it comes for, for developers specifically, when you're thinking about a problem, the biggest thing that you need to do for developers is get them focused on one thing instead of jumping from thing to thing. Because if they're deeply focused on one thing, when they clock out at five, their brain does not turn off. They're thinking no. about it 24 seven. But if you have people jumping between multiple projects, they clock out at five, they're done. 
It's done. And you, like, you, know, like you want those passive calculation hours so that they come in the next morning and go, I figured this thing out last night. Like, right. Like you, you and that's what I've tried. I've tried to tell my boss numerous times and he gets it. And it's just like, it's a matter of convincing the business, but mm -hmm. it's like, there is, there's very much a context switching cost. Absolutely. Like it is very expensive for me to be like engrossed in this problem of like, okay, what is the problem? You know, what is the fundamental issue here? Kind of like, what are our options? What's going to be the most efficient? And like you said, it's like, this is kind of just processing in my head and it's like, Hey, that's not a priority anymore. This now has to go out sooner. And so it's like, okay, let me like, write a team's message to myself, kind of like walking through my thought process because I've, I've arrived not at conclusions, but like at, you know, pretty solid thoughts. That like, I don't want to lose that. Exactly. So I have to like document that, pack that up so that whenever I do get back to this, I'm not starting back at ground zero. And then after that, I have to dig into this new topic. And it's like, and I've explained to you know the company, it's like, I get it that sometimes that is necessary, especially in like a very, uh, urgent industry but it's like there are times when just like mismanaged priorities cause that shift and it's like that's a real i don't know if they understand how expensive a, of a shift that is and i think part of that comes yeah. down to like contractor hours versus internal dev team hours is it's like a lot of businesses kind of just accept the cost of an internal dev team is just like ah, it's cost of doing business we pay however you know many hundred thousand dollars a year to have this team and what we get out of them is what we get out of them but you mentioned opportunity cost it's like if you would set us loose on like one topic, one focus topic, and just like, this is our focus for days, weeks, however long it takes. It's like, we churn out better code, faster code, you know, more robust code. You get more features in the same amount of time and for the same amount of money. But it's just like, because you're not paying like contract hours, it's hard to, it's hard to realize that opportunity cost. And it's just like, well, you can, I don't know, man. I could, you can explain it too, when it comes to the, to, uh, there's, there's a, there's a really good YouTube video that I think it's called like the art of motivation. Um, it's uh, it, it's one of those um, videos where the guy's going through a talk and then there's like an, an animation, like on a whiteboard kind of going along with it. And it does a really good job in like 10 minutes of explaining motivation. And one of the critical things that it gets to is, you know, they're talking about, they're not talking necessarily about context switching, but they're talking about uh, financial motivation. And uh, you know, they, they said that, you know, a lot of a lot of business people like the idea of going, all right, well, if I need you to have to give me more ideas about stuff to do, I'm going to offer a financial reward. And uh, because that's that's how, in my mind, it should work. I'm going to provide you an economic benefit and you're going to in turn turn out more more stuff for me. Um, and what they found was that uh, if you offer a financial reward for a mechanical task, if you are chopping wood, for example, and you say you right. chop this many logs, um, you know, or if I'll give you this much, you know, per log, then you will significantly increase the output by giving it a, by giving it a relation like that. But when you do the same thing with knowledge work, performance goes down. Really, yes. uh, and it's been proved over and over and over again. It's 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 a really fascinating fascinating video. And, it's, and if it was basically the bigger the reward, the worse the performance was. Wow. Yeah, I, don't know I wouldn't have expected pressure that or anything else, but, but, but they find it happens over and over and over. And when you, when you're talking to, to business people in general about the difference between uh, knowledge work versus task work, like I have to do this very mechanic. I have to sort these papers or I have to file this or I have to file this thing. Not, I have to figure out the solution to this problem. Right. Uh, it's, it's a very different aspect. And it's one thing if you're task switching and say, all right, I want you to chop this pile of wood instead of this pile of wood. Okay. That's not a big deal. You've decided that pile of wood is higher priority, but now you're saying, I want you to build this building. I want you to build and draw me plans for this building instead of for this building. And in order to do that, you've got to, uh, you've got to go through all of the, the papers and customer inquiries and conversations about exactly the different requirements of all these different things. And you have to sort all that out and you have to pair your workspace and line it all up. It's a very different problem when you say, okay, well, I know you're really deep into that, but now I want you to go with this one instead. And then I want you to come back to the other one. Like you never stop. Oh, <laughs> I, that is the worst dude. Yeah. That is the worst. And I will tell you, there have been several times. It's like, we've had a feature floating around that it's like, Hey, start on this. And we start like, ah, just kidding. We don't need that quite yet. And so we, you know, we back off and then six months later, Hey, do this again. We start on it. It's like, ah, maybe not, maybe not. And so we, we roll it back and we finally on the third time built this. And I was so mad because it's like, dude, if you had given us the firm requirements 
and we had worked on this to begin with, it would have just been done. Yeah. But it's like, because there's that back and forth, we wasted tons of hours and tons of conversations because it's like the first couple of times, like we thought it was dead, dead, like just not going to happen. And so we didn't really make much effort to sort of like document the findings, document, you know, the code that we had written, We're like oh, it's dead, whatever, you know, that's a waste. And so we blew it away and it's just like, if we'd known this was going to be valuable later, we would have made more of a concerted effort to record this for posterity. So we're not wasting time with the same conversations. And so we've kind of learned, it's like, if the business ever says, Hey, we don't want this anymore. It's like, mm, they don't want this for about six months to a year. And then they're going to want it. Exactly. Um, and we've kind of, there's very much been kind of a back, back and forth of learning that. Um, and one of my biggest things that I will tell um, new developers, especially because um, we'll have like code schools come meet with our, you know, kind of, tour our, our place and kind of like talk with us to learn more about the industry. Mm-hmm. One thing that I'll always tell them is if you work for a company, the code that you write is not your code. That's not your code. That is the business's code. Yeah. And so if they paid you for your hours to write that and they say, toss it away, we don't want it. They didn't waste your time. They paid you for your time. Yep. Did they waste money in paying you for that? Yes, but that is not your code. That's the business's code. So it is very much do not get too attached to code the euro. I've written algorithms before that I'm like, this is the most, this is the Da Vinci of algorithms. And I'm super proud of it. And it's just like, it didn't get used. Yep. And so it's very much, I, you have to accept, like, I wrote this code for the business. It is the business's code. And if they choose not to use it, that's okay. Oh, and I think that's very much, a lot of developers, we can be kind of prima donnas. We can be a little, you know, arrogant with our intellectual property. It's like, no, nope, you got to lose that. The moment you become like a corporate coder, it's like, you're working for a business yep. and that's the cost of doing business. Yep, exactly. So that that is, I try to explain that every time because I'm like, I didn't know that going in. Mm-hmm. And there've been plenty of times I was a little hurt with like, why did you not use this, you know, this genius algorithm? Because it didn't work. It, it or didn't do what they needed it to do. Yep. And that that's okay. So yeah, there's a, that's fine. Golly, there was, so there was a time I worked for a, for a company that had acquired another company out of Seattle. And it was, a, they acquired a Ruby on Rails app. And I was working with the team of the company they had acquired out of Seattle. Um, but, uh, you know, it was a, it was interesting. It was like a social media platform for, for churches. Um, and it doesn't exist anymore, but, uh, you know, I, I got to be on the team for a little while and I saw, you know, they had pager duty set up and they were getting pages like 30 times a month for something that had to be dealt with. And it was never in the feature priorities that were getting prioritized by the business on the, on the scrum side. And so finally, I just like, I just told my, my boss, like, look, we're getting way too many pages about this stuff. Can you just take me off the project for a little while and let me focus on let me work on it. all of these pages? And so he, he let me and after about, no, after about two or three weeks, um, we shifted or actually after about a month on the project, um, we had shifted from having on-call deployments where everybody had to be around for every time the code was deployed to fully automated deployments. Uh, we went from 30 pages a month to less than one every two months. And the the things that would have previously triggered a page, if we couldn't directly resolve them in the code, um, we had you know, we had systems set up to identify what was going on and see if it could auto-scale to resolve it if it was just a load issue or something along those lines. Uh, and then automatically scale back down when the when the time came, and uh, I was so proud of it. I basically sent, I basically set the whole thing up, and I was like, okay, this entire system is virtually maintenance free and on autopilot now because of this work. You can deploy fifty times a day if you want to, and nothing's going to break. You can it, it, you don't have to worry about it, it, it having any problems along those lines. It, it automatically rolls back if there's a problem that is detecting when it's trying to deploy it or, and all this and itself self heal self resolves. And then about six months after I had basically perfected this platform, the company just decided they were turning it down. Oh no. I, like, oh. <laughs> I just eliminated your maintenance cost on this. If you shifted all the developers to another platform, you could still just leave this running and let it keep making money. They just went, nope. And it would still be fine. Exactly. Oh, man. That is so disappointing. Exactly. And I was very emotionally invested in it, but I learned a lot of lessons through that that I now take. And, right. and I got more heavily into the to the DevOps world after that. And so you might not own the code, but you do own the knowledge. Right. And right. that can never be taken away from you. No, that's an excellent point. And, and that's what, you know, you mentioned doing, you know, 
different um, different tasks that seemed off the wall or kind of invaluable or not not necessarily valuable at the time. It's like the uh, sort of amalgamation of knowledge and platforms and everything. It's like it really builds a much more competent developer because like. I wrote series one assembler code for eight years and it's just like, man, that's awful. Like, let me tell you, writing assembler is terrible, oh, yeah. but it's like when you, you're limited to eight character field names, you're limited to like, I can only jump 250 lines at a time and memory we're limited to 64k per program. It's like, you have to learn such efficient practices of like memory management and, you know, building more elegant, elegant algorithms and stuff. And it's just like, you could be truthfully in most modern architectures you can be super sloppy like you can we have enough processing power you know the languages are efficient enough it's like you could write really bad algorithms and not even like notice that it's not efficient just because you can throw so much power at it so much you know so much ram so much you know processors like you can throw resources at problems now that are like yeah it's trivial um but it's like there are going to be times when like you're de- deploying like a really lean app to like i don't know raspberry Pi's. like we're trying to do something like that's not that doesn't always have those resources or like we're trying to put a hundred bajillion apps on like an azure server and so we only have a little bit per app it's like there's absolutely benefit to kind of knowing those efficiencies and like Having to work realizing how to improve it exactly and it's like i feel like a lot of people especially like more recent because this you know the older you are i guess the, the more likely you are to have worked in those older platforms yep. there's a lot of people today that have gone into it and it's just like they've never worked w- really within those constraints and it's like most of the time it's not an issue but you're going i feel like there's a there's a time in any business's life that it's like you're gonna run into an issue that you need that optimization you have those constraints and it's like you're gonna need somebody who knows that or anybody on your staff's like I got nothing. I, I can't trim it down any more than this. And it really does help to have that knowledge. Yeah. I had a very obsessive, um, uh, I had a very obsessive, uh, manager at my first internship and, uh, he had no intention of ever using the code that I wrote. He didn't. Right. And it was, it was great. I, I was basically writing C plus plus code and he had me writing a, uh, a, a queuing system. And, and he, you know, at the time he didn't tell me he had no intention of using the code, but I know he didn't have any intention of using the code, uh, looking back, but I mean, he basically gave me a, he gave me a programming problem and he said, you know, we need to, to model out how we're going to do this specific problem. It was basically like a prioritized queue. Um, and so, and it needs to, to run through things as efficiently as it can. And so I, I worked it out and I put something together and, uh, he looked over at it after I kind of gave him the first demo of it. And he said, that's interesting. All right, make it faster. Uh, okay. And so I thought he was, oh. he knew something that he was trying to get me to. So I got out, started looking into like threading and how to you know, do parallel processing and stuff. And you know, this is back in the late nineties when parallel processing wasn't something that you wasn't a thing. Anyway. Right. Um, and you know, I just, I, I kept going into it, going into it and going into it. And so I gave him another one and I, I made it a little bit faster and he's like, yeah, that's pretty good. Make it faster. And he basically did this over and over and over for the entire summer. And and I was just like determined at one point I made a significant improvement in time and somebody accused me of taking out a sleep function or something. (laughs) Um, And as far as I know, he never used it, but he, but the, the act of doing that exercise with me about, about making me dive in and trying to figure out how to make this thing faster and faster and faster has gone with me from my entire career where now I can't not think about the optimizations for anything that you're going to make this whatever you write you're going to make it as efficient as it can be just by habit because it's like oh, i had to do it before we're going to make this as fast as it can go well and and there's there's also the business trade-off that, um, that's always in my head too of i want it to be that efficient but i also need to deliver something in a reasonable amount of time and so right. I'll, I'll i'll deal with the obvious things and then make a note if i know that you know this this could be tuned but the value of the tuning is probably not going to be worth it just yet and so right um, yep People always say they hate to do's in code. I love them because I'm in, I'm guilty and I want to have a note while I'm thinking about this of like this, I know we can do this, uh, this better or faster this way, but here's, here's what the ROI is going to be on it. And so eventually this is how we're going to solve this problem one day, but it's going to take too long to implement it right now. And when I go back and look at my own code, I want to see those notes in the code. And, and I, I, it drives me nuts when there are certain systems that will actually like flag to do's in code as uh, as like an error condition that you're not supposed to have in there. Because as a developer, 
you know, people hate their task management systems. You're switching from like GitHub issues to to some other system to Jira to whatever else, and the company is making different decisions on why you're moving this stuff over. Everything's not going to go with it. But as long as the code's there, the notes about what I was thinking about at the time in this code are going to carry over to whoever's there afterwards, whatever else. And you know, whether you want to consider it code comments or whatever else, that's fine. But I always like doing to-dos so that I can use those tools that are there to pull all the to-dos out and see what I was thinking when I made those notes. Anyway, we, uh, we are we are a little bit over time here. So are there any final thoughts you want to you want to close out on? Um, I don't think so. Other than just like, you know, I really appreciate your time and you know, the opportunity for this. Yeah, uh, definitely taking a, a leaf out of Kate's book to try to get a little more plugged into like the local scene. Uh, I, like I said, I, this is, this is the first of, you know, any talk that I've done ever. Uh, but like, I really, I'm very passionate about coding. I'm passionate about technology and I think it's a really cool opportunity and uh, appreciate your time and definitely looking forward to the uh, the conference. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to, uh, to having you in the, the hack Greenville Slack where you can be kind of a little bit more plugged into the community. Cause if anybody's not on there and you're listening to this, you, you need to be, there's, about 1,500 developers in the upstate and of all sorts of different languages talking about all sorts of random topics. And uh, it's there's also events that are posted there constantly. It's a great, it's the, the single easiest way to get plugged into the developer community that's up here. So thanks for coming on. I've got to give my uh, my every episode shout out to Herd Media. Thank you for, uh, for thanks to Herd Media for helping me get this podcast up and running. They've, if you're looking to do a podcast of your own, you're looking for some professional assistance, definitely give them a, uh, give them a call. And uh, and thanks again to, to Herd for coaching me through all this. This has been the Carolina Codecast. Mm-hmm.